0: Warning, this issue of Nil Desperandum is rated R, for strong language and violence. Listener discretion is advised. Nil Desperandum 8, Diascuri, by Edward Morris, Part 1. Edward Morris was nominated for the 2005 British Science Fiction Association Award and for the 2009 Risling Award. He has sold over 70 short stories around the world in publications including Interzone, Ellen Datlow's Best Horror of the Year number two, The Worlds of Philip Jose Farmer, and many others. He is also a third-year guest author at the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival and the Oregon Science Fiction Convention. This story is dedicated to Loan Stewart and Keith Culver. Dioscuri by Edward Morris And blind as are these three to me, So blind to someone we must be. Walter de la Mer
1: National Institute of Biomedicine Case number 1547366 stroke 1799 Alpha. Exhibit H Stroke 15 Stroke Alpha Excerpted from Private Video Dr. Eugene Argenti If you love something, set it free. If it comes back to you, continue the experiment. If it continues to run away, terminate it and rebuild. Rinse, repeat step one. This is the way of pure science. We may think we love those not born of man and woman the way we think we love a long-time family pet, but neither are ensouled. Not even when they think they are. (coughs) Why did these two run away from their adoptive homes where we inserted them as infants as though anywhere else would have been any better? They were young boys. Where did they think they could hide and not eventually be found? Downtown? Please. Chicken Town? We're working on it. I have two of my best independent contractors out there right now. I don't expect Hauser or O'Brien to take long. I will recoup NIB's investment. We must rope in the young butt clones and study their every cell. D1 and D2 will, of course, be terminated first. More humane that way. Not since the dissecting theaters of Rembrandt's day will we have such a chance to learn so very much about our own human process. And with a double yoker as well. twins D1 and D2, my boys, my donor sperm, rebelled against their father and cast themselves out, far from our shining city on the hill, where the university used to be before the secession, militarization, privatization. Before the glory of NIB, my salvation, my home, NIB demanded a sacrifice, as Yahweh demanded Isaac. So I made my boys. My Fantacini, my Discuri, down to the first synthetic ova we bought from the Italians. Rather than the mere medical experiments, as they do with clones elsewhere, the point of this whole bloody, cock-up Zimbardo experiment was to emancipate these two into foster homes, keep track of their lives, see which one went which way and why. Of course, the nature of the world betrayed this. I put too much faith in people. Ghoulish? Hardly we never denied them their independence, or put cameras in their skin. If you look how they turned out, we can't be held- What? Well, we're not the parents. We gave them two parents. That was the whole point in the first place. The parents should have handled that in turn. We can't be held liable. People can lie on tests and not tell us that they're addicts. Or those others, the professional foster parents we had to let in under Republic law. Anyone can adopt a clone. Both my boys will do anything to get back to the wild. But sometimes, the young primate needs to learn that the wild will find him. One. Document. Road to Damascus.
0: National. Yes, because they exist somewhere in a country. Institute. School of? Governing body running a school of something? Of biomedicine. Of what exactly? Of made up words and made up titles? When the internet first got big, way back when, there were all these scam artists who tried to perpetuate that they were actual universities that people could attend and get a diploma. Problem was, there was no university to go with it. Nor is there now. During the secession, Oregon Health and Sciences University's main campus was seized by the military as a hospital and then left abandoned when the wave rolled back. There's no university up there anymore. NIB really stands for something quite different. I should know. They made me, and they know how to shut me off. But I know how to do something much worse to them. Them, and that megalomaniac in his ivory tower up on Markham Hill. All you know about me is what I've sold you. My identity. Every dime that was ever spent on me since birth. All the things that augmented reality records, I sold that all away. And I never really had it. I am Doc. I am no one. I am cognitive dissonance, now being fed back into the system. I grew up in hell. If you know Chickentown, you know Zebiko. is not a neighborhood. Chickentown is. If you're Russian, you call that neighborhood New Belief, sometimes Little Moscow. If you're Vietnamese, in your mother tongue, you call that neighborhood the Long Walk Anywhere. Chickentown is what the Johnson Gutterpunks call that part of town. At the corner of 72nd Avenue and Foster Road, there is an ancient lumberyard with a rooster on the sign, whose actual letters are faded down to nothing. That lumberyard is zoned a legal squat, one of the first in Portland under martial law. Of course, the Johnsons were there first. Zebico lies within the Chickentown district, which most squares and richies call FOPO, or Felony Flats. Foster Road to Powell Boulevard, clear to Damascus and boring on the Springwater line. Zebico used to be something called a mobile home court. It's set on this sign that swung in the wind down by the service road, where very few people came or went. Zebico Mobile Home Court, John Dunsworth Manager, Pat Roach Park Supervisor. Lot fees due 15 of the month. No firearms, dope, unnatural animals. I learned to read from signs like that, but some of the words had no meaning. No one ever came and changed the sign. The trailers and old trucking containers people made into houses were all up on layer after layer of blocks and boulders and pallets. Everything looked abandoned. Very little was. The biker gangs were the only law. People used to grave rob in the boneyard at the end of my block and do things to the bodies. Hexers used to squat in the crypts there. Once in a while, some wise ass would put up a sign in a mausoleum window, closed for renovations. One time we found a head in the yard. Mrs. Tanner got a big biker she knew to come down and dispose of it. He put it back in the ground and said some words, then made me go put the shovel back in Mrs. Tanner's shed. I was slow about it. She hit me. I called her a dried-up old bitch. The usual. There were rapes in that graveyard, and murders. Sometimes the military buried people there with no markers. Sometimes the locals did too. Sometimes the locals' kills wore khaki, but for every one of those, there were ten more of the other. I couldn't get out of Zebico fast enough. I sold my adoptive birth certificate, the fake one I found out later, to some Mexican weed farmer in Bend when I was 19. That right there was the first time the feds took notice of me, since that's considered an act of terrorism. When you commit that particular crime, as so many kids of my age were doing then, you forfeit all citizenship, and, I later learned, also are legally declaring yourself as something called an enemy combatant, whatever that means. It was my own stupid fault, and it took some time to talk my way out of. But I thought I had. No, seriously. I remember that before they got me and broke me, I woke up sprawled on my own love seat. There was an unfinished jug of cheap California wine sitting on the coffee table and a girl's phone number. My pants were on. I couldn't have gotten in that much trouble. All I did was go out for breakfast, and it changed my whole world view. The bagel had ham on it and cheese and an egg that almost looked real, scrambled in a block. I never got to eat that bagel. I wasn't even trying to look at the new news in the cafe. Anyone can write the news and call it the news. Nobody really looks into these things anymore. Everybody's too busy getting more and more shit surgically stuck in their heads. Then they act all surprised and sue when they get infections or this, that, and the other. It's the new American way. See, I read about history. I know. And I turned out to be no smarter. But what could anyone do? I was working. I know you're supposed to take them off in your own home, where you can chill and not have to see that far ahead of you, but... Who wants to? Really. Who wants to be in the dark? I was working, from home. In my studio. It was a big piece. A year's worth of pops and crackles of broken static from some hacked old satellite channel or other, woven into animation. While I worked, I wasn't even getting high from my own supply. Much. Frozen music, I was going to call that installation. It was going to have many parts when I started rendering it the following week. I had my goggles on the whole time. The. Whole. Time. Then I was rendered and the images were lost. I got stupid and careless and they got me cold, and that was the far end of even trying to think about any of that. When that crook Dr. Jeep's Federale Butt Boy snagged me off the street and broke my eyes... I started going blind as soon as we got about twenty miles outside of Portland in their troop transport Fedmobile with its grotesque, shiny wheel rims on tires as tall as I was. My goggles were off, and the surface holes in my temples were whistling. My poor little headgear was twitching inside my brain like severed insect limbs, with less and less to interpret. I could gradually see every little road sign in the air wink out above every business, every cross street. Reaching into the sky where the last thing to go was time and temperature. 209. Fading away from solid black smoke numbers to insubstantial smog. Then gone. I saw the streams slow down and stop. The songs fart off in the way like poked balloons. The disgusting ad rules finally out of my face. Everything reset to zero. You don't really go blind when you get out of range. But visual cues lose meaning. There are brownouts, blackouts, in between periods of only light and shadow, and shades of gray. The absence of color, the gradual desensitization of the optic nerve in the presence of so much extra info dump, blowing out at the first stress point. You forget how to interpret what you see on your own, so the brain makes you think you're going blind. You never really do, not for very long. But try telling me that then. Yeah, those feds who had me were really good dudes, all right. They liked to nab orphan babies with cleft pallets and club feet out of Nihonmaki and Gresham and everywhere and sell them to Dr. Jeep for research. Not that different from the way it seemed like everybody in the world but my fosters, with or without all their bullshit, did it. No one could do anything about anything anymore. Not since the secession. Since Washington, D.C. took back the reins and busted the West Coast back to territories that had to be readmitted. There was no manpower to spare for this kind of thing. It was happening everywhere. The future was going backward. All I had were my note pains, my persistent internal memory, my easy ends and monstrous pride and the blind, blind eye I turned on everything while I took it all for granted. We were headed out of town fast. I was about to be erased, or at least come back in no shape to be anything but dragged out into the nearest street and shot. They knew it, too. I fucked up bad. Neither of them got their checks for two months running, while the weekly papers investigated those anonymous photos I sold them straight from my eyes. Yeah, I said it. That's how I used to make my living, when no one was buying hex or paintings. I was a snitch. But never to the cops. Only the press. Especially the younger and more voluptuous members of it, who let me crash on their couches while my headgear was downloading what it had to tell. Who knew I'd ever leave Portland for anything any soon? I hadn't been out of town since I moved there. Nobody ever left Portland anymore except Richie's. Nobody could. I had bigger problems. On top of the atrophy, worse than I imagined, one of the feds, thing number one if memory serves, took off the outer frames from their elastic band around my head and crunched them up in his fist. This was my generation's answer to the old cop routine of taking someone out in the sticks, beating the shit out of them, and making them walk back into town sans shoes. Now I had no depth of visual field, at least not in the way I was used to. Insult to injury. You know the old cop bullshit. One of the last things I saw was the regulation FBI tub thumper pulse pistol holstered under thing number two's right shoulder. Thing number two didn't really care that I saw the cannon. Oh, hey, look, he's still blinking. Bet you'd like to take this from me and beat me with the wrong end. You start crying and whining before we dump you, this goes right up your ass. Shouldn't have taken our pictures with them goggles so many times, Doc. The other one snarled. You never get my good side anywhere my wife wouldn't want to see me. What kind of photographer are you supposed to be? Hell, we're patrons of the arts, ain't that right? Doing everybody a favor. By then I knew full well I couldn't get a rise out of either fed. They were hard babies. I knew this was my last ride. I'd kind of given up on just about everything anyway, at that point. The whole way there, both of these grafty, pasty psychos wanted me to remain aware of certain things. Like what happened when small-time dealers got greedy and forgot that this wasn't supposed to be their number one gig. Or fucked with their side gigs, just to be a pissant, and maybe wasn't done. My visual field started getting one hell of a lot less populated, But each function of the two-part implant goggles winked out slowly, like stars. The shadows thickened. Letters got fuzzier on Augie Reel displays across the fronts of buildings. No more perpetual news. No more music all the time between ads. It was kind of a relief to leave it all behind, really. I'd gotten as hooked on augmented reality as I was on hexomethamphetamine. Hex to its users. Hex has no friends. Only pieces of its sick hive mind throbbing for more and more of itself, sowing dragon's teeth in every life it bites. I could control it, I told myself, while I fudged my rent more and more and spent more and more time with my headgear plugged into the well, but it just kept getting worse. Things got worse after they broke my eyes, too. The fake blindness sure did, and it felt real enough at the time. The two feds knew me. They knew I'd be all but blind out here, As soon as the rezoned office squat shantytowns gave way to the tiny historical ring of faux old-time highway restaurants and shopping malls, as the carpet of transmission points and bubbles and blurbs and flashes, with as few words as possible, got thinner, everything just looked like shadows and light. I'd been wearing my goggles too long. Taking them off, after the fifth day of work, even without the new interruption, would have required a stern lecture from an intern at the Old Town Clinic probably in a language other than my own. There were no clinic interns out here in this giant, rolling thunder beast of a military sport limit with no knobs on the back doors. There were no towers anywhere, either. No lamps with a wireless dish somewhere in their streetlight parabolic reflectors to bounce and beam the sweet, life-giving bandwidth back through my spine. No wireless transmission points of any kind where we were going. I had to remember that I could still see... Maybe only shadows and light, but better than a sharp stick in the eye. By then there were military checkpoints. From there the whole way into Damascus, or whatever little shitpod hex town we were closest to at my best guess. As soon as the soldiers were knocking on Thing 1's windshield, Thing 1 was flashing his cred. I tried to focus on the motion. It was hard. But I did it anyway. Thing One's cred had a shiny fed hollow shimmer on it that jumped right out when he seesawed the card forward and backward in its clear plastic case. I could see for ten seconds, and then the dimness grew worse. The bored grunt outside waved us through. I heard his arm go down. I heard the rustle of cloth and the hiss of fixtures and holsters shifting on his duty belt. I heard. I heard, and I understood what I heard. I could hear everything all of a sudden, like a bat. Thing 2 was engaged in a muted conversation with his own headgear. Meanwhile, I looked around, around, around for the glowing oasis of one public work streetlight lamp core somewhere in a light pole on a traffic island, just to tell me where I was near. No. If I was going to make it home after Thing 1 and Thing 2 got done beating the shit out of me, I was going to need to find a cane, or a guide or something. I closed my eyes in the back seat of my latest involuntary ride from the government, trying to resign myself to everything I'd bought. They were taking me somewhere with no lights, to watch me bash myself to death stumbling around in the dark. I knew that one day, my number for this would come up. Just not how. I kept my face a dead mask. I'd laugh about this later when I walked. At the moment, I could barely see it was the price one paid, for living in the city and getting anywhere. Really, doing anything. How's that little side business working out since you transferred to the Portland Field Office? I asked Thing, too. I mean NIB. The factory. What do you get, like a thousand dollars per kid you turn in? What do your scientist pals even use those kids for, anyway? Is it really two... I smelled burning rubber and pitched forward in my seat. The two feds barked laughter odd laughter that felt out of place at first and then began to chill me more and more. The factory, he says. Kid, you were born there. You and your twin brother test tube. Heh. What? He knew just where to stick the knife and which kid who always knew he was a Foster Road foster kid, stuck on the road to Damascus for now and ever with scales welded to his eyes and no angels anywhere. He didn't answer. I shuddered to the core of my spinal column behind my eyes, the gibbering pit of my stomach, as my heart turned over harder, harder, harder at the words. What do you think? Right about here look good? Thing one was still driving. His chuckle was nothing I ever wanted to hear again. A little farther. When he spoke, the gas pedal screamed like something being skinned, and I bucked backward in my seat as my teeth clicked on my tongue. The blood tasted bright red. I could see the color in front of me. It didn't help. Somehow, Thing 2, whose name I finally sort of remembered was O'Brien or something, managed to get my door open with me trying to bite as many pieces out of him as possible. But they'd cuffed me. Oh, they'd cuffed me. Both of their hands made a palm strike, flat out and back. So long, Doc. We'll keep your pet reporter warm for you. I was airborne for an all-too-brief period. Then the field of stars came up everywhere. And my face met the thud. Airborne again. Longer that time. Too long. Then I hit my head hard enough to go truly blind. I knew that much. I could be at peace with it. I could sleep. Sleep. I came to someplace darker, hearing sounds I couldn't understand. Smelling a colony of mold. I could feel that my goggles were gone. My eyes. Blink. Blink. Rub. Rub. Nothing. Dark there was someone standing close smelled like a woman a sick one I heard her voice raspy and broken a jagged bottleneck slicing a throat and the rush of winter wind it made from the esophagus you can hear me, yes? Russian, maybe Ukrainian older than anything move foot, a hand, something give me sign I heard her hands clap together twice, sharply I choked back a few weird noises and tried to say something, feverishly flapping my left hand and right foot. I hear, I hear. Good. Then the worst pain I have ever experienced surpassed my ability to describe anything. It leveled off a bit. White then, not dark. Burning bright bleach white. I turned within the pain, then fell from it into whirling gas clouds of that gravity, That planet of pain that pulped my brain for more time I couldn't remember. Then, in the dark, I came to. I felt their hands, heard the breath from their warm mouths, their soft voices. Look, it's that guy. A Downs voice, tones all orbiting the glottis and palate with different stops in the high ends. Jamie. Jamie that beat the pants off all of them at Spite and Malice and Go Fish and Seven Card Stud and every other card game ever invented. How could I hear him in my head? How could I hear... Oh, Jesus Mary Joseph, how could I hear, how could I hear the song that was stuck in Jamie's head? What am I? How am I doing this? Yeah, the guy from the news. Higher register. Very, very high. Flute-like. Mikey Town, Finnish kid. Mom was dead. Dad got thrown in jail. Mild borderline DD. Used to sling all sorts of things in the neighborhood for extra money. Old books. Old kinds of music players he fixed up. He... Ow. Ow. He was the one. That was still Mikey, as I somehow shut my head and swam back up into full consciousness again. That told on those guys with the van. He knew that two of them were... Mikey sounded out the word... He knew it fine. He just had to slow down and say it. Federal agents. That's what the news said. They were bad policemen, and this guy turned them in. They only came so close. I had to puzzle out their meaning. When I did, it hurt so much to cry that I almost passed out again. Jamie again. Hey, look, Mama put those gold things in his ear holes to hold them open. See, he gots those those holes in his right above his ears, too. Those different holes put goggles in to stay. They... Orbison, I tried to croak. They're called Orbison shunts, but nothing would come out. Mikey again, commanding without being a dick. He got things to put goggles on, and the gold things, too. Flanges. Optics flanges. The gold is conductive. It's a kludge for people's ear canals so they don't have to go in and get their connection scoured and redone. Where in the ding-dong did she find optics flanges to fit my head? Where you out here? Get the thing that Goat made. No, not the Geiger counter, silly. The other thing. The thing that plays games. Silence that might have been a minute. Or a few days. A new voice. A girl now, not a boy. Hey, mister, you look sick. You like chicken soup? That's about all we got for lunch. And bread and juice but my brother and the work crew said they'd have hamburger and maybe even stuff to make cheeseburgers when they came back. Have you ever had a cheeseburger? My stomach screamed like a hexer dying in the cold. For some reason, this provoked a storm of childlike laughter all around. Not childish, you understand. Childlike. Huge difference. Childlike, but with a depth of nuance and understanding that I could find no index for. He hears me, the girl squealed. "'He hears me! He hears me! He hears me!' From far across the wet cave, I heard Matryoshka chuckle to herself. "'What's up, Doc?' she called. I cleared my throat, smacked my lips, and sat up, feeling everywhere with my hands. I was on some kind of futon mattress. I smelled like capsaicin and betadine. I felt old bruises calcifying in places I wasn't aware were still attached to me, except by the pain." The creak and pop of joints. They said Yelena. My voice gave out. I backed up and tried again, pointing my face toward the last direction where her voice had come from. Everybody told me that Yelena Moskowitz was no more real than Santa Claus. Everybody, everybody downtown said that, ma'am. A most unladylike scoffing noise. Downtown. Everyone downtown drunk on drocks. A sniff terrible place. When we go downtown to catch... to catch... oh, what does Mikey say? The bad policeman. Heh <laughs> No, not many special children downtown. Not no more. At the word more her voice broke. Not no more. Downtown just one of first infanticide clusters. No legend is Matryoshka. Is Dr. Moskovitz. No, I am no legend. I heard a fist pounding on something. I am activist. You are John Locke. He say that when the law is the law of the jungle, every person become God's instrument to put it right. God give mind, boy, but we must use mind. The children had all heard her start up and gone back to what they were doing. I could hear them all around, pulling things apart, putting things together. From somewhere, metal washbasin sounds that could only be a load of dirty dishes clacked out castanets to a ragged chorus of Ico Ico. So you bust them out of NIB and bring them here. It was a little hard to hear, to believe, with my mind trying to ravel itself from the last thing that happened to me. Me, my sons, others. You have medical facilities? Sheesh, if half what I heard about Hauser and O'Brien's scam was true, a lot of those kids had glass panels put in their stomachs. Parts of their... I heard a breath of lightning wind that smelled like half-and-half pipe tobacco, and felt her harpy talon clamp clam my mouth. Not in front of the children... Dr. Yelena Moskovitz hissed in my ear, soft enough for them not to hear, but loud enough she knew it would be agony for the half-blind. Yes, what you say is true, and worse. Not all of them live. Some have to have the palliative care here, and that is all we can do, is hold the hand while child dies, from what was done to them. I heard the incalculable agony in her voice, night terror and burning shame, bitter frost and fright. "'Is like birds in oil spill, these children. "'Sometimes we can wash. "'They eat again. "'They fly away. "'Sometimes... "'Black terror boiled from the heart of their matryoshka. "'Sometimes all we can give them is honorable death "'with people who love them. "'May not be family, no, but all here are related. "'Worlds turned in the silence. "'I heard them before this. "'This culture hero who was real.' whom I had to process as real now for the first time, spoke again. But look, here is Demetrius with your... new toy. The little presence sounded like it stood on its tiptoes, handing something upward, mumbling a Greek word. Stereoopticon. Before the light happened, the darkness felt very deep, full of bursting dust motes as big as barn beams. My jaw seemed to lock, unlock, change shape. A hot river in my head pulled down and out my eyes. Then the light came on and I saw through a console. Not darkly, but smearily, and mostly shadows in the primary colors. Mostly in degrees of light. The first separations of mind from matter a child knows. It would get better. I could see blood, blood beating in the veins of my eyes again. With every beat, things got a little brighter. It would take time to wean myself from Demetrius' toy, but not much. I could see Demetrius now, a bright little boy of seven or eight with curly black hair and overalls and the broad, open smile of Downs. I wasn't fooled by that guileless face. We had guys with Downs in my building. One was the best chess player I ever knew. The other one wrote gambling software. They were all different. There were so many of them. I picked out Matryoshka right away. She looked just like her picture in the weeklies, only human. Kind of beautiful, actually, if I was thirty years older and wanted to get ripped in half. Her long silver plate was wrapped around her head and pinned in a crown, the way the Ukrainian girls I knew up in Chickentown did it. All the lines in her face were laugh lines. In the odd light that was my whole world now, her faded eyes seemed to bleed into the air. He can see, she told the rest of them. He see enough. We make his eyes light up. Now let Matryoshka through. See, the murmur drew back a wave of the smaller ones, the children. All different, never twice the same. Never twice the number of eyes and fingers and hands and toes adding up congruently. Everyone beautiful and blessed in the light of the thing they'd done. The thing that had a few game icons in the bottom left quadrant, powered off. Everything felt blessed. This thing was allowing me to see again so maybe I could keep doing that on my own. C. The crone knelt beside me, where I lay propped up on what appeared to be an improvised hospital bed with rails. There were needle things sticking in my hand, things that pulled, things that made me not want to move too much. I smelled blood and alcohol. Not the good kind, either. The kind for wounds. And shots. I looked right instead of left, Wincing at a knot in my neck that felt like a pulled muscle or a bruise. I was... I was remembering. Apart from life, remembering ways to put this together now that made no sense, had no part, and yet fit perfectly. How long? I tried to ask. My eyes filled up with tears. How long was I out? I sat up on the pillows, holding the big metal bedpan thing on my eyes. It rattled. For some reason, all those damn kids took it in their heads to spontaneously applaud. Yelena shrugged. Not much. Two days. You sit up. You come try to eat with all of us, yes? Is American hamburgers. We fry a big batch of potatoes so you no see the black spots. Maybe a rat or two. When she saw me smile, Matrushka, the felsher of Foster Road, Baba Yaga to the nightmares of an entire medical corporation, quit talking trash. The real, honest laugh that wound out of her like an f chord on a guitar twinkled the recirculated air with her three-gold-toothed smirk. Good, she told me. Funny bone not broken. You live. I saw her right eye flash several times, bright green, like she had headgear. Then I got sick again. Dizzy and spinny and sick. But Mikey and Demetrios were hauling me to my feet with the no-nonsense, come-along technique of veteran orderlies. Time to eat, Mikey said with his high voice, now at its normal decibel level. I bit the inside of my cheek to stop the snort of laughter. This was the last place I wanted to be disrespectful. Dimitrios elbowed me. You get used to his voice, he said in a voice every bit as loud as Mikey's. I think he's really a tune, don't you? Amazed, I heard myself reply, my voice full of a laugh. Be nice. Imagine how you sound to him. Demi mumbles all the time, Mikey replied, hauling me to my feet on his end. All of these were things I needed no one to tell me. They were merely apparent. As apparent as a hot meal, and no one asking me why that meal made me a sobbing, grateful wreck for a full ten minutes as I inhaled it. As apparent as the little girl who first realized I was awake, Shelley, who fed me and talked my ear off until all I could see was the world through her eyes for an instant. I could see Yelena smile, too. After a while, the girl came a little bit closer and spoke for both of them.
1: Coda. Shelly you and louie
2: We asked the skinny, goggle-eyed man from the city if he wanted to make pictures with us. We do that after dinner. Mama says it's okay. It teaches us to think and say more of what we mean. I mean, come on, who wouldn't rather draw than be doing something else? The skinny man, the stick man, the skeleton man. I guess he thought so, too. I felt sad for him, and I wanted to help him walk around. I could, because he couldn't have been very heavy. From the game box eyes, Matryoshka gave the skeleton man to wear. I heard the sounds of the little opticrystal thingy getting cold, cold, cold. Too cold to touch without the box around it. That was Demi's old game deck box. The one he tried to fix when he got it from that river rat who came through on the last barge. I'd like to make pictures with you. I'd like that more than anything in the whole world, Doc told me in his weird voice. So I handed him all the big cardboards that Matryoshka gives us to make pictures on. And the crowns we all made together with hot paraffin and all different berries and grasses and stones crumbled up. <laughs> Doc didn't quite look like he knew what to make out of any of it. Maybe because he just kept crying and crying the whole time he was making us the most beautiful pictures I ever saw in my whole life. And I'm 11. Pictures of the city like Mama talks about, buildings so tall they went up past the clouds and shone in the sun and went down into the river or floated in the air. I knew Doc was an angel as soon as I saw him draw a picture. He had to be an angel. No person could draw that good, I know. I saw with my own two eyes.
0: Nil Desperandum is edited and published by Jim Phillips and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Audio production in cooperation with the Bear Crawling Nation. Engineer Hugh Morrison and executive producer Charles McFall.